Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Investors are mulling the recent flash crashes that have dragged Bitcoin below 50,000, sent other digital coins reeling in its wake. Look at what happened September 7th, Tuesday. There was a wave of selling which pummeled the prices of nearly every single coin, unraveling the gains priced in by a retail trading mania ahead of El Salvador's first day accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. We saw the value of cryptocurrencies plunging to a low of about $1.9 trillion, reflecting a loss of more than $410 billion, according to data from CoinMarketCap. Meanwhile, Ether, Binance Coin, Cardano's ADA plunged between 13-18%. We saw the price of Bitcoin dipping about 15% to less than 43000 last week. Solana was the only token posting an increase in value, climbing 8% after quite a stunning run-up of nearly 36% over the past year. Uh, Solana powers a blockchain um, and it reached $175 last week, so up 200% in August, up 7,000% since the beginning of 2021. Uh, its network apparently attracting various DeFi products and interests as NFTs move from Ethereum to Solana because it offers you know, a less expensive process of launching or buying or selling. Uh, you may have heard of Degenerate Apes, that's Solana's very own NFT collection. So it's made a stab into the NFT uh, market and some are really looking to Solana as an Ethereum killer with the capabilities of its programmable blockchain. That, of course, coupled with increasingly euphoric stories of the insane amounts of money that are being made on NFTs, all sparking interest as well, right? So in the midst of the flash crash, El Salvadorian President Nayib Bukele announced that the country took advantage of the crashing prices to purchase an additional 150 bitcoins, boosting El Salvador's holdings to 550 total coins. So there's been heightened trading volume which then fuels speculation about institutions selling off large stakes, triggering uh, brief outages, trading delays on many of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges, including Coinbase, Kraken and Gemini. So where does that leave us all? I mean, the undaunted crypto believers say this is the best time to invest. Uh, with last week's flash crash dragging Bitcoin below 50,000, uh, people though expected the momentous El Salvador decision, uh, you know, giving every citizen a crypto wallet in El Salvador, giving them some Bitcoin as well, $30 worth, I believe, adopting crypto as legal tender to have been a milestone for Bitcoin. But that really sparked a, a really messy flash crash. So what is behind those flash crashes, what can we learn about them? From them, Krishna Ramachandra Managing Director, Dwayne Morris Selvam LLC, Senior Advisor to the Global Blockchain Foundation and Chairman of the Helix Initiative, a non-profit, uh, joins us live now. Crypto, good morning. Did I just call you crypto? I did. <laughs> well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Krishna, good to have you with us again. So we saw Coinbase. Yeah, hi, Michelle. Coinbase just sold two mm. billion US dollars worth of bonds. Uh, I mm. think they were oversubscribed. So- uh, hundred of percentages of times, seven billion dollars worth of interest and two billion dollars worth of bonds. Uh, some analysts say this sale really shows that crypto is really going mainstream. What do you take from the crypto flash crashes? Is this about euphoria? Uh, you know, sparking these wild gyrations? 
Unfortunately, it's not as sexy as that. It's uh, really down to the exceeding amount of leverage that's out there because you've got loads of exchanges out there. Um, the bulk of the exchanges at this point of time are unlicensed mm. and they have a pretty free hand in uh, being able to give leverage. And the the bulk of their investor base and their customers um they trade on leverage, and when they do that, they effectively get a um, a a risk. They they are in an exposed position, and sometimes if they are you know long on Bitcoin, for instance, and you know that was uh, uh, almost initially unrelated, right? It was about a twenty billion dollar position, a uh, leverage position that um, that an entity had on a uh, on a on on Bitcoin, and it what it does is it has a cascading effect on all the other positions which then subsequently um, um, are called on. And so that's what we had. So the, uh, the flash crash was, um, was nothing more than um, leverage being um, expunged. And I think that's, um, that's one good way to uh, uh, just look at not only on-chain and off-chain analysis, but, mm. uh, you know, it's to, it's to just understand that this is going to be part and parcel of uh, how things are, are going to... Um, uh, are going to operate in the uh, crypto trading world. Okay, a flash crash is a very deep, volatile fall in security prices that occur within a very short period of time. You know, some are questioning, is the crypto market so small that it's open to heavy manipulation by a few big players? I, I, you know, that is the, uh, the common position taken about the, um, the whales coming in and having a few syndicates that control the market. But I think the the leverage has an has, has an opposite effect as well because you then have the kinds of volume that um, some of the whales uh, would would struggle to match up with. But if you look at the narratives, I mean, you know, traditional public uh, securities markets, you know, you have the uh, four four or five sources of the narrative for uh, uh, for how the markets move. Mm-hmm. But the narrative here in the crypto world is. Uh, Somewhat different. You have a, you have you know, uh, CNBC is uh, one of the sources. You've got Bloomberg as well. But then you've got this whole ecosystem of YouTubers. Yep. And you have got the, the you've got the Twitter brigade and you've got the Telegram brigade, mm-hmm. and and of course you've got Reddit as well. And so that narrative has to also be taken into account because they are very powerful, and yeah. they are able to somehow get. Uh, get the movement and the, the momentum going on, whether it's a, uh, a a dump or a pump. Yeah, like Jeff Seckinger, you know, this YouTuber who apparently called the uh, this this uh, flash crash uh, a lot earlier mm-hmm. than it happened. For example, interesting YouTuber. But you know, apart from that, uh, apart from that ecosystem, mm-hmm. there are also big names like Kathy Woods. In the news saying she's still optimistic about crypto. She made a number of bull calls this week, Monday in fact, saying that if we are going to be in a highly deflationary world and if people like her, the crypto bulls are right, then the returns are enormous. So Wood's saying Ether is seeing an explosion in developer activity thanks to NFTs and DeFi. And she reckons that this new generation of retail investors are a force to be reckoned with and that they will dominate the crypto space and her portfolio consists 60% Bitcoin, 40% Ether. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. 
uh, price calls a little later, Bitcoin half a million, gosh. Okay, so basically Wood's argument is that if companies continue to diversify their cash, if an institutional investors continue to allocate 5% of their portfolio to crypto, then there's reason to be bullish. Do you agree? I would say even 1%. You know, there's reason to be bullish because the um, the the holding of uh, some of the more popular altcoins, um, you know, Let's not let's even put aside Bitcoin, um, and even if you if you look at Ark uh, Innovation uh, ETF, um, they got in they got into Bitcoin. They took a position, and at that stage, I think it was one percent, and that that was close to 2014. And if you then fast forward, at that point, Ethereum hadn't been uh, you know hadn't really uh, taken off yet. You know, it was still in the white paper stage as well. And and if you just look at the the number of institutions that have just you know it's almost as if to to be not accused of uh, negligence in managing a portfolio that they need some some form of exposure i I, you know, I would go with that argument, certainly. Mm. last week, I spoke with one of my guests who said, you know and he said it is it, it, we are at a point where investors cannot look away from mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. So I want to ask you, do you think, you said to me, you think we're reaching the, you, you posed the question, are we now reaching the critical sign of concession where the momentum mm-hmm. of adoption is too great for non-believers to resist? So I'll put your own question to you. Are we? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. And, you know, maybe I will, um, I, I will give you a lolly answer and, and, and tell you that, you know, it also depends on how we define adoption because, You've got adoption in terms of the actual ecosystems that have a token ecosystem of users that are actively using the tokens and the cryptocurrencies within that ecosystem. And then you have got adoption, if you like, Mm. in terms of philosophically embracing the idea that digital assets are here to stay and there are cashless forms of, uh, of currencies that will dictate how social human behavioral patterns uh, develop over time and how we interact with, uh, with each other. So, so if, you, if you take that wider definition of adoption, for sure, you know, we have already uh, gone past the tipping point and uh, it's, it's certainly a directional trend. Um, and, you know, that is, um, it's now a case of how well-educated one is and and also to uh, to understand the little nuances. I mean, the, the good news is for you know I think for the bulk of your listeners as well mm. is that you have got you've got public securities and those who are exposed to the public capital markets uh, are able to rely on the likes of ETFs out there that you know represent a uh, a basket of uh, crypto assets. Um, and then you've also got even the equity play, right? I mean, if you're very bullish on Bitcoin, for instance, and I, I would really recommend people to listen to Michael Saylor of, uh, of MicroStrategy. You know, he is actually very uh, technical and he, uh, he impresses me uh, a huge amount. And I, mm. and I think his thesis mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is spot on. It is very logical. Uh, he methodically goes through the, the case scenarios mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, Everyone's talking about the the public securities markets uh, topping up, uh, topping out uh, very soon. Sure, you know you've got QE uh, going to peak, I think, uh, later uh, next uh, next year, 
And at the end of that, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? You know, yeah. so the artificially inflated uh, securities uh, market isn't helping. Mm, yeah, we've been talking about a pullback for not, for quite a while. But on mm-hmm. that point of adoption, do you think other countries are likely to follow El Salvador's decision to make crypto legal tender? Yeah, I mean, you know, U- Ukraine is uh, U- Ukraine is just, has just announced something as well. And if you think about it. I mean, and, and this is a slightly cynical hat on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, politicians need to get elected. And if the, if the common narrative on the ground is to, um, is to provide a, uh, a glimmer of hope or to provide, if you like, a, a form of engagement or distraction, how the, the way uh, it depends on how you look at it, they, they can look upon these digital currencies as a, um, as a, a quick fix if if they haven't got their monetary uh, uh, policies right, or they can look upon it as a, a real long-term solution for a lot of the embattled uh, countries. It, it, even Zimbabwe, uh, historically, we have known it for having superinflation and um, and uh, and worthless uh, currency notes. And if you allow for those countries to potentially have a completely new regime with a uh, a robust fiscal and monetary policy bu- built in which is which is completely trustless and you know um uh monitored if you like and on the blockchain and having it adopted widely across various jurisdictions i think you have the makings of what you would say is a uh, a fair system of um of, of currency creation. Okay. On the other hand, anybody who's tried to open, a, you know, a, a wallet <laughs> or, you know, jump on an exchange will tell you it's not the easiest thing to do. I'm a little surprised, actually, that we talk about Bitcoin as something for the man on the street. You've got to be pretty technical because there are all sorts of, of barriers in the way banks don't exactly... Many banks don't allow you to transfer to uh, a blockchain network directly. You know, you've got to find mm-hmm. your way to, to these uh, f- um, exchanges, find your way to transferring money into these exchanges from the so-called banking network. So do you think that regulatory um, clarity is going to moderate the pace of crypto adoption, which will also have an effect on prices? Well, you know, uh, that's a great question. And, you know, there is a uh, there is a technical hurdle, if you, if I may, uh, in 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 one trying to embrace uh, you know let's just say NFTs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, Raul R- R- Paul had uh, had said on uh, on one of his uh, chats recently that you know he he got a NFT for the first time, and you know he had to go through a whole whole host of you know hurdles, and you know it was just an irritating process, right? <laughs> and so I I suspect that there will be efficiencies uh, along the way and you know and, and that's the beauty of this space right it it, it it completely breeds innovation and someone will think of a a an interoperable platform which which will will to an extent you know be um, um, against the grain of what blockchain stands for which is decentralization and being trustless mm-hmm. so there will be some level of centralization if you want the convenience you're going to have to contend with centralization and 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 I'm saying that centralization isn't necessarily a bad thing. It is the uh, if it's a very if I can uh, if it's a very efficient uh, centralized system uh, where the middleman doesn't really um, uh, uh, cream off uh, too much for the uh, for the reputational uh, service if you like that is provided. 
then you know it, it will aid in the uh, in the widespread adoption. And here's where my uh, my very wide definition of adoption uh, is useful because you have got those who want to partake and you know buy an NFT. You know, I was speaking to my son the other day, and you know he finally figured it out, and he's a 19 year old, right? Mm. And uh, and you know and it's meant to come naturally to these guys, and so. But he, he got through that barrier and, and from that at that point onwards it was pretty smooth sailing. So it is it just requires a bit of patience and uh, but you're right. It is it is not as efficient as it can be. And mind you, you know, we are in the equivalent of nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety seven of the internet phase. Yeah, and it's still as difficult. I read an article twenty thirteen, uh, I believe it was a New York Post journalist mm-hmm. trying to buy a Bitcoin. And I looked at it and I thought, gosh, the number of steps that he took is pretty similar to the number of steps I had to take. You know, it was roundabout. It wasn't direct. It wasn't one click that mm-hmm. easy. Um, but on that point of engagement, I read a really interesting Visa report saying NFTs are engaging today's fans in crypto and commerce. So when mm-hmm. we look at uh, Kathy Woods calls, for example, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. she's calling, you know, she expects it to reach half a million dollars, $500,000 in time, of course. What kind of engagement will that require? What what would be necessary for that to be true? I, I think there would be, um, in the final analysis, there would be perhaps at best uh, one or two um, digital assets that will really operate truly as a cryptocurrency, as a mm-hmm. currency. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bitcoin has a massive head start. And you have got, and, and in a sense, whilst they were, uh, they do not have as many features in, in, from a smart contracting standpoint as, uh, as Ethereum. They, they really did what they, they said they would do on the, on, on, the, uh, on the chain, which is, you know, provide a very secure wallet and the transfer of uh, tokens between uh, uh, two wallets. And that's why you, you hardly ever um, read about hacks uh, um, on chain for a, um, on, on anything related to Bitcoin. But for Ethereum, you have a whole host of functionalities, which is also the reason why um, they have become so popular. Uh, but it's also led to higher gas fees, uh, which basically refer to the fees that have to be paid as the transaction is uh, executed. And so a lot of projects, and you mentioned Solano uh, uh, earlier on, yep. um, they have gone straight down to layer two to provide the kind of scale and speed transaction speed that's required. But, you know, a few hours ago, Solano actually went through a, a massive uh, uh, outage and I think they're going to reset the network as a result. Mm. You know, so I think that's going to um, uh, perhaps, you know, put the prices down a bit uh, for Solano. But Solano has got um, a lot of promise. I mean, it also it's also got the benefit of um, FTX's um, uh, ecosystem of uh, exchanges and uh, custodians and all other providers in that space. And you imagine if you have a direct link with um, a, a, a massive um, uh, exchange like FTX, which has just recently also received a lot of funding, I think just under a billion dollars. And, and so Solano will benefit from, um, from the slipstream, if you like, of uh, FTX's uh, uh, movement upwards. So even red hot currency, uh, even red hot Solana, facing mm-hmm. problems as you say hours ago, validating transactions. This according to yeah. its its own Twitter account. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, whenever we talk about crypto, we embed the warning that your gains can disappear as, you know, as quickly as they've come in, right? And to expect gyrations of about 30% price movements a day. Given what you've seen of these crypto flashes, mm-hmm. does that advice still stand? The advice being um, to expect a volatility and... Within a day, yeah, of about 30%. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes even within minutes, right? I, I, I would say... You just either have to be so well um, glued, if you like, to the screen and to understand you know, what's happening and to take cue and not to panic sell. Because a lot of the script, um, you know, this is not for the faint-hearted. And you really need to have that, that additional discipline of patience and to really write out the, uh, the volatility. Because if you can just master that discipline in itself, I think you're already well positioned. Um, and I would, I would urge people to, you know, really study the basics. You know, there are some really good websites out there um, and, and YouTube channels. You know, you've got Coin Bureau, you've got 99Bitcoin, you've got uh, um, even Coindesk, right? Coindesk has some really good articles that come out, uh, you know, every, every few minutes. And it's just to understand, as you would for public securities, uh, equity securities, to to look at the narrative which is out there and how it may be impacted. It's a bit complicated right now mm, to mm-hmm. to rely on certain um some narrative. I mean, you know, sometimes you you kinda of have to dumb down and not really uh look at it too technically. But when I say dumb down as in you just have to give deference to the um uh, the other sources of the narrative which may well be very popular YouTube channel influencers or um, even stuff on Reddit as well as Twitter. Very much with the spirit of what Bitcoin or, you know, the cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. are about really, right? The little person yeah, true, on the street not looking away. So basically don't look away from this space, study it. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to have leverage in it. That, you know. Yeah, I, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, what I think people should understand is this. I tell you why you don't need leverage. Number one, it's... Um, the odds are stacked against you because a lot of the exchanges which are not licensed, they will just really do their books and it will tilt either way. And, and you, and there'll be an immediate wipeout. Number two, the reality is the multiplier effect, the exponential returns that you're going to get in coming into this asset class at such an early stage of its development is enough justification that, you know, only, only you know, put in money which you are you are prepared to um, uh, prepared to lose, as they always say. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't have to leverage up. You know, this this whole fear of missing out, or you know, should really not apply because I don't think we have even found or identified the the definitive cryptocurrency that's going to be the next slice spread. Yeah, good point. Good point there. And before mm-hmm. we let you go, was your son minting his own NFT or buying something? Uh, he bought, he bought, he bought, but I, yeah, he, he bought. And, um, you know, because he can't quite afford a crypto punk right now. Uh, so, well, but you know, who knows, right? He may be, uh, he, he, he may be, um, uh, on the other, uh, on the other side of the, um, on the, on the other side of the financial, uh, purchasing power yeah, never uh, very know. soon. And what, why did he buy? That's what I'm interested in when it comes to NFTs. I mean, did he buy Degenerate Ape? Did he buy something because it's plugged into his gaming world? Why, why did he buy? 
Well, you know, he, he you know, he, he, you know, he told me that it's a, it's kind of an expression of his uh, kind of relaxed outlook. It was, uh, I think, it was a Rasta Rasta crypto. So the guy is, uh, uh, you know, with uh, uh, with his um, uh, long curls and um, and and a pretty uh, and, and 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 a uh, and a spliff as well. Not not that he he does that, but you know. Um, so it's that an expression was, of it's, yeah, it's, it's white people by art. Outlook. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and that's your flex, and that's your that's your expression. You you've, you've just got to study the space of how these uh, youngsters, this new generation, how they behave, and and what's important to them. You've got yeah. to put aside what's important to us. You know, I mean, at least to me. I mean, you're a lot younger. Uh, and Thank you. Um, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you know, I, I just feel that it's an exciting space and. And here's where the, I'll just make one point, one last point, mm-hmm. if Go I ahead. may, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which is what's unique this time around is that the, this digital asset class does not require the type of um, unfair advantage that people with money had when, when uh, the real estate asset class was developing in the 80s or the uh, the tech stock as a class uh, was developing in the late 90s, early uh, 2000, where you either needed a, uh, a brokerage account or you needed a, uh, a pretty sizable deposit to buy some real estate for it to for, for you to experience that exponential. Here, mm-hmm. the digital assets, right? You are able to get, you know, if you go into some of the launch pads, you're able to get those assets at uh, at a pretty uh, low price point and you know, just keep it in your wallet and go about your daily business and um, you know who knows in a few years time you know come back to it it might be your retirement all sorted out you know alright well that's a happy note to end on Krishna thank you very much for being yeah. with us my pleasure thank you Michelle Krishna Rabachandra Managing Director Dwayne Morris Selvam LLC Senior Advisor to the Global Blockchain Foundation Chairman of the Helix Initiative joining us this morning in Money and Me before acting on the information on Money FM Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.